Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby. We are thankful that you have joined us today. This is the work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We're located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. You can reach us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, That You May Grow Thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer, and I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. I'm Jacob Taylor, one of the evangelists. I'm Ross Oldenkamp, also an evangelist. Very much looking forward to beginning the new study today. We have completed the study of the life of Christ, the harmony of the Gospels, and we're taking the next logical step, and that, of course, is into the book of the Acts of the Apostles. And so you may tell your friends that we are going to be studying in depth the letter of the book, the Acts of the Apostles, and invite them to listen and hope you will listen as well and feel free to ask us any question you might have, make any comment you might feel compelled to make simply by going to our website, www.nkcofc.com and let us know what you're thinking. So we'll turn our attention now to the book of the Acts of the Apostles, looking first at verses, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Jacob? It says, The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had given orders by the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering, by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of things regarding the kingdom of God. Luke begins his letter to the Acts of the Apostles by referring to the former account that he had written. The former account that he had written was the Gospel according to Luke. The book of Acts was named also as having been written to the man named Theopolis. Theopolis means friend of God or lover of God. And the title most excellent was applied by Luke to Theopolis in the gospel, according to Luke. It is believed that that title indicates rank or honor. And it is probable, although not certain, it is probable that Theopolis was a distinguished Roman or Greek who had converted to Christianity. In the gospel, Luke had set forth chronologically that which Jesus did and taught. Here his starting point makes sense chronologically because it is a continuation of the history, a continuation of Luke's account of the gospel. You know, as I sit uh, reading here, I notice that the title of this book is Acts, and my, my Bible reads Acts of the Apostles. But I think there's an interesting insight that Luke gives us here about how we should perceive the book of Acts. And he alludes, as you said, to the book of Luke, the first, his first installment, if you will. And he uses the phrase that when, to describe the gospel of Luke as all that Jesus began to do and teach. I just would have uh, our listeners think about the implication of the word began. He basically sums up everything you read in Luke chapters 1 through 24 is all about what Jesus began to do and teach. So what what follows then? Basically, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was only the beginning. And the implication is 
is that the work of Christ is not done. If that's what Luke is all about, is what he began to do and teach, well then what is he still doing? That, that may be one way you can look at the book of Acts, is not just the Acts of the Apostles, but this is the work of Jesus the King uh, as he begins to administer his dominion in his kingdom. And of course you know well that Jesus continues to work uh, in uh, even today from Hebrews 7:25 that says that he uh, is our great high priest and that he always lives to make intercession for us. You know we find the phrase in verse 2 until the day in which he was taken up and I believe obviously that refers to his ascension at which time the Holy Spirit will give what we come to call the Great Commission to the Apostles. On that day, the day of his ascension, Jesus gave those chosen men the command to go and teach the gospel, making disciples of all nations. During his personal ministry, Jesus had authorized no one to preach him as the Christ. Indeed, his apostles had been forbidden to do so. But the time between the resurrection and the ascension was 40 days. Now in the Gospel account, Luke records words of Jesus to the apostles on the day of the resurrection and additional statements on the day of his ascension. In the Gospel, he doesn't mention that those times occurred within a period of 40 days. In the book of Acts, he distinctly says that there was an interval of 40 days. During that period of time, Jesus appeared to the eleven and others, showing them many infallible proofs and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Yeah, just on what you just said, end, ending your, your comment about the, um, my version will say convincing proofs. The New American Standard says that in, in verse 3, that he presented himself, the he being Jesus, after his suffering by many convincing proofs. I think something to notice, especially in the, uh, the lessons that Peter's going to give in the early portion of, of this book and, and seen you know, uh, in other places as well as the eyewitness piece, that they were witness of these events and that these, these proofs that they saw were convincing and what they saw and that they were witnesses. Um, John talks about this in, in, you know, in 1 John chapter 1 and what they saw and what they heard and things like that. And so the eyewitness account of some of the, of the apostles is is very important and something to note, especially in the early portion of the book. Let's go on further in our study and looking at verses four on down through verse six. Ross, you care to read those? Sure. <clears throat> and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, "You have heard from me." For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? You know, apparently this meeting was not the day of the ascension. That account appears to really pick up in verse 6. This was also not the giving of the Great Commission but rather a limitation of the commission as to its time and place of beginning. The phrase, what the Father had promised, is defined in verse 5. It speaks about the coming of the Holy Spirit, 
the baptism of the Holy Spirit that the apostles would receive on the day of Pentecost. Looking at verse 6, I think this was the day of the ascension. And the question of the apostles indicates that even at this time, they did not fully understand and were very much in need of the help and the assistance of the Holy Spirit. They still were holding to the general Jewish opinion that the reign of the Messiah predicted in the Old Testament was to be a literal restoration of David's physical kingdom, a physical dominance rather than a spiritual dominance. Anybody have anything to add to that? Um, Yeah, I just uh, would point out, uh, one, concerning what we read back in... Uh, back in verse 2, it says that he, before he uh, 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 ascended to heaven, it says he gave commandments to the apostles. I just wanted to quickly point out that uh, there there was great order and um, preparation given, as we already saw back in John, how Jesus prepared the apostles for this day. I just wanted to highlight that. Uh, because I think it stands in contrast. A very popular religion today, uh, of course, in the Middle East, is uh, is Islam. And if you compare the two, they, uh, it is said that Muhammad is a great prophet, like Jesus was a great prophet. And, and yet, note the contrast here between Jesus and Muhammad. Because Muhammad died after a brief illness, and his movement was thrown into a state of chaos and there was a power struggle and there was a division in his followers sunnis and shiites created from that division and i just want you to see the contrast here about the smooth transition of god who was fully in control of the situation prepared his disciples for what was coming and completely equipped them for the work that they uh, had to do and then secondly, from four, uh, verse 3 says that during this 40-day period, Jesus spoke with them the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And so, I mean, I'm challenged by verse 6, where they ask about the timing of the restoration of the kingdom. I mean, think, think how... I just don't understand how for 40 days they could talk about the kingdom with Jesus post uh, post resurrection, and uh, and and now they're 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 you know they're asking about the timing of the restoration. I don't know that we fully can impact because we don't have access to the conversations that took place. But for 40 days listening to Jesus teach about it. You got. I, I just struggle to believe that they're still thinking that Jesus has a, a physical kingdom in mind. So I just throw that out there. I think that's pretty interesting. Uh, let's go ahead and look at verses 7 through 11. And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they were looking steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus 
who was taken up from you into heaven, so will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. I think it's important to note that they still were not certain as to when the kingdom was going to come. They, they were still confused, which was the reason why I think Jesus told them in John chapter 14, 15, and 16 about the work of the Comforter and the coming of the Holy Spirit to more fully reveal unto them all of the truths that they were not at that point in time able yet to contain or to, to deal with. Uh, the establishment of the church on Pentecost is obviously on the Lord's mind. And God was the one who determined the time when those things were to occur. It's vitally important that they receive the power necessary to perform their role in its inception and growth. Their receiving of power was the same as their being baptized with the Holy Spirit discussed a little earlier. The latter part of verse 8 serves as kind of a table of contents for the book of Acts, if you think about it. In Jerusalem, well, that's chapters 1 through 7. In all Judea and Samaria, that's chapter 8 through 11, verse 18. And to the remotest parts of the earth, well, that's pretty much the remainder of the book. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's interesting Jesus, um, what, what he says in response to their question in verse 6, I think certainly it could have been from the, the standpoint that the apostles were so latched on to this idea of the earthly kingdom that perhaps it blinded them for what Jesus was truly telling them about the kingdom of God and it wasn't a physical kingdom. But Jesus doesn't get on them or rebuke them for thinking in this way in verse 7 and 8. But what he does do is tell them it's not your time, not your job, if you will, to know when these times are going to take place. Um, It's the fathers, but what they are to do and what they will do is receive power from the Holy Spirit. And just as Greg talked about going to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the rest of the world teaching the gospel. Um, Also want to note again what Jesus says they are going to be in verse 8 is that you shall be my witnesses. The the key um, eyewitness testimony that is seen and is so important even today in the in uh, you know in courts and various things how valuable an eyewitness testimony is, and Jesus highlighting that what the, they these uh, eleven at this point are going to be for for Jesus. Um, you know, sometimes people ask about the gift of the Holy Spirit here because <clears throat> back in John chapter twenty, uh, when Jesus appeared to his apostles. Remember when they were shut, uh, in, uh, locked inside the room for fear. Uh, he stood and said, Peace be with you, and uh, they were glad. And uh, he says, Peace to you as the Father has sent me, I also send to you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Sometimes there's a question there about, Well, didn't, didn't they receive the Spirit uh, back in John chapter 20? This, of course, long before he had ascended. Uh, but I guess the best way of looking at that for me is it, this is kind of an earnest. This is earnest of the official promise in, uh, that, that would take place in Jerusalem. And for my, my, my feeble mind, I look at it kind of like 
uh, a father giving his son a set of car keys. You know, uh, it, th- this is a set of keys to the car that you're going to get in a few days. It's as good as yours. Uh, maybe they hadn't received the power yet, uh, the, the horsepower or the, the power, in other words, of the spirit. But it's important that we understand that this power, although all believers receive uh, the Spirit, uh, this, is, this is not like the Holy Spirit given to the apostles. We're not promised when we become Christians to receive that kind of power like the, the apostles had. And as we're going to see, the uh, miracles that they're performing are performed exclusively by the apostles until we get to the point when, uh, when they uh, impart that gift to other men. You know, having given his instruction to the apostles, Jesus was speaking a blessing upon them. Luke, Luke in the gospel account, Luke chapter 24, verses 50 through 52, shows us that even as he was blessing them, Jesus began to rise. He began his ascension into heaven, and the apostles watched him go. It's important to state that the apostles witnessed his ascension. It was not affirmed in the New Testament that anyone actually saw Jesus while he was coming out of the tomb at his resurrection, because the evidence of the fact could be better established by their seeing him after he was risen. But the truth of the ascension to heaven could not be confirmed in that manner. Therefore, it was so arranged that he would ascend in open daylight and in the presence of the apostles. Just think about that. The apostles stood watching Jesus until a cloud hid the Lord from their view. So intent was their looking that apparently the apostles didn't notice the two men in white apparel until the men spoke. The past perfect active tense of the verb means had taken their stand by them. It is apparent that these two men were angels, and the message of the angels was that there was no need to be despondent or to stand hoping for another glimpse of Jesus. He would come back in the same way he had left, visible and in the clouds. I think of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7. And by the way, it is generally affirmed that the apostles were all Galileans except Judas. And this will prove to be important when we arrive at Acts chapter 2 and verse 7. With with the ascension, this is something that Peter will even touch on in in the the sermon on the day of Pentecost in in Acts chapter 2. So this is going to be an event that is going to be used to, to teach Jesus to people in the very near future. Um, also, you know, these verses reminded me of John 14, verses uh, 1 through 3, but I'll just go ahead and read 2 through 3, where it says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If that were not so, I, wouldn't have, I would have told you, because I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I am coming again, will take you to myself, so that where I am... There you also will be. And that the awesomeness of he's coming back to get us. And that we're going to be seeing Jesus again one day. Um, and to have that hope and to continue living for him each and every day until he does come back to get his people. I think the passage you referred to there is, is such an uplifting passage. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. 
but he begins by saying, if it were not so, I would have told you. And then goes ahead with the promise of the giving and so on and so forth. Such a powerful, powerful message for coming from Jesus in this promise to the apostles. Okay. Let's go ahead and pick up looking at verse 12 on through verse 14. 12 through 14, Ross. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication, with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Just as the Lord had instructed them to do, the eleven returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives, by the way, is located, was located to the east of Jerusalem. On the western shore or, or slope of the Mount of Olives was the Garden of Gethsemane. On the eastern slope, the villages of Bethpage and Bethany were found. A Sabbath day's journey, according to first century Jewish thought, was about 2,000 cupids or three-fifths of a mile. I want to note something here. Such a restriction was not found in the law of Moses. Jewish religious leaders fixed the distance, making it nothing more than a man-made tradition. Where did they get such a figure? They arrived at that distance because it was a tradition that in the camp of the Israelites when coming from Egypt, that no part of the camp was more than 2,000 cupids from the tabernacle. Obviously, the Jews would be allowed to travel that distance to worship. Now, there have been many attempts to identify this upper room, but it will suffice us to say that it was an upper room in a house where the apostles were staying, and it was in Jerusalem. Naming the apostles shows that all those to whom the commission was given were at their post, so to speak, ready to begin their appointed work and waiting only for the promise of power from above. There was unity and harmony among the apostles as they waited, being persistent in prayer. With them in prayer were the women. It appears reasonable that these were the women who had followed Jesus from Galilee that Luke named in his former treatise. And by the way, I think this is important. This is the last time that Mary, the mother of Jesus, is mentioned. The special attention given to her name shows that she was greatly respected by the apostles, but there is certainly no indication of the system of veneration that would arise in the Roman Catholic Church concerning her. The brothers of Jesus are now with them. They must have had a change of heart because they had previously rejected the claims of Jesus. The names of the brothers are found in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 55. Yeah, you know, I, I already miss Jesus uh, being on the earth. <laughs> because based on what we saw in the Gospels, 
we get to this phrase about the Sabbath's journey, uh, this idea, like you explained there, that there was this rule that says you can't uh, walk that long, and I, I can just imagine Jesus going twice as far, <laughs> you know, just because uh, that was one of his uh, big, big points, was I'm, we're not go- going to bind what has not been bound. So we want to continue to remember that in our practice of religion. Uh, it's important to... Uh, you know, keep God's laws, uh, but 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 not to bind uh, what has not been bound. Yeah, well, note note again, it was, it was already been touched on the devotion that they had in prayer. They were devoted, so that's a consistent, continual effort. Then it even talks about they were continually devoting themselves to prayer, and so d- doubling up upon that. And then the way they were praying was with one mind. To prayer, I mean, they were in, in unison and unity, as Greg pointed out, continually going to God in prayer and being being one, just as you know, as we are to be one with our brothers and sisters today. And, and also was touched on that Jesus' brothers, physical um, brothers, are there as well, and how just neat that is. I mean, Jesus changes hearts. We don't you know, know exactly what it was that made them, you know, have this change of heart, but. We know clearly that they do, and it's just a, a a neat thing to see that regardless of the situation, Jesus does change hearts, and there's no one that can't be turned to following Jesus. You think they were scared to go back to Jerusalem? I mean, it was less than two months ago that Jesus was crucified in that city. Um, although, I, I just wonder how much of an impact all of those appearances of Jesus, you know, during that time period... Um, might have changed the climate. Uh, I don't know. You think it was a scary thing for them? I think there was reasonable concern for the welfare (laughs) of of their physical being. That makes sense. Okay, well, as I look at the clock, our time is about out for today, or this particular episode. We want to thank each and every one of you who has listened. I hope that you're excited about the study of the book of Acts, because we certainly are as we see the early history of the church. So, until next time, thanks for listening to That You May Grow Thereby.